When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 6.30 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 6.30 Chad. All right, here's what I can tell you. 14 and a half minutes left in Toronto. The Flames lead the Maple Leafs 4-3. 15 and a half minutes left in Montreal. The Canucks lead the Canadians 2-1. 12 minutes left in Washington. Rangers lead the Capitals 1-0. Rangers out shooting Washington 27-12. Blues and Sharks about to get underway. Golden Knights and Kings will drop the puck in about an hour. Early second period downtown, the undefeated Oil Kings up 2-0 on the Red Deer Rebels. The Oil Kings 2-for-5 on the power play. Already five power play opportunities. Game's barely 24 minutes old. Oilers and Jets tomorrow. It's on 6.30 Jets, 6.30 face-off show. Game is at 8, and then the Oilers hit the road for 5, starting with a game in Montreal on Monday, Tyson Berry leads NHL defenseman in scoring, having a big year. Uh, we'll talk a little bit more in detail about him later on tonight, but it's, uh, you know, I've seen the, the well, he gets a lot of second assists. He gets a lot, a lot of second assists. He's just giving the puck to somebody who then really makes the play. But I got to hand it to, to Rob Tichkowski, the young up-and-coming writer for Post Media, who put out a put, captured the the video of the Oilers' second goal yesterday, on which Barry got a second assist, and he said Barry retrieves the puck, jukes a forechecker, sheds another forechecker, and makes a quick outlet pass to set up the game-winning goal for people who devalue second assists. And that's a good point. He still had to make a really good play and help the Oilers start the puck up the ice. And Rob Brown said it last night. He said, well, they may be second assists, but the Oilers have had dozens or if not hundreds of defensemen <laughs> over the last couple of decades who didn't get those second assists. So Barry must be doing something right. And uh, I think that that is a good point. I will welcome back to Inside Sports, a guy who knows all about points and assists of the basketball variety. It is Steve Sir, who's the greatest three-point shooter in NCAA history and now the director of basketball development with the Edmonton Stinger. Steve, how's it going? I'm good, Reed. How are you you got all the hockey stuff out of the way. So can we get to like the brass tacks here, man? Can we get to can we get to what's well, going on today in sports? We have a lot to talk about, you and me, as as we always <laughs> do. But but I, I think but I think what I was just talking about relates yeah. to any sports in which sharing the puck or ball is is important. Don't devalue the point guard that starts the play. <laughs> good call. You're right. That you're absolutely right on that point. Good one. All right. Well, that's it, it's true, but I mean, you could pass it and you could shoot. I got to, I got to go back here. Uh, we have, we have an awesome Edmonton connection to, um, to the NCAA tournament, which we're going to get into, but you played in the tournament. Uh, what was the year again? Oh my God. Uh, we got to go back a little bit here. Um, it was you know, two, 2002 uh, with San Diego state. We played the university of Illinois and we, we just got shellacked. It was uh 
It doesn't mean it wasn't a lot of fun. We played at the United Center where the Bulls play, and uh, Illinois was stacked that year. They had you know a bunch of guys that were great that spent a lot of time in the NBA, Luther Head and uh, Corey Bradford and Robert Archibald and uh, Brian Cook. Like They were just fantastic, and, and we, we were a really good team too. We won the Mountain West Conference Tournament that year and you know had some great players, and, and we wound up playing a, a really tough first-round opponent um, and it was an amazing experience. So there's, there's nothing really like the NCAA tournament with, uh, the excitement and the, the hoopla and the, and the hype. And then the quality of play, like, you know, anything can happen on any given day. And, uh, I remember the game right before us, Creighton upset Florida, which was a really big deal at the time. Cause I think Florida was a three or a four seed and, you know, just the, the atmosphere at these games is, is difficult to, to put into words because the excitement is just, you know, it's blowing the roof off. Okay, so if you guys hadn't won your conference tournament, would have yep. you been good enough to be invited into the NCAA tournament or probably not? Probably not at that point. Uh, we were the San Diego State, uh, who's in the tournament this year, as uh, I know a lot of people's picks to maybe make some noise. Um, San Diego State plays out of the Mountain West Conference. And um, at that point, I think the Mountain West Conference was like, it was a solid league, but it was a one-bid league. So if you're... At that point, talking about who the top teams were, uh, Utah was really big. Uh, they've since moved to the Pac-12. Uh, BYU was really strong. UNLV was really strong. So maybe Utah would have probably got a bid. But then you're talking about whoever wins the conference tournament being being the second team in. So um, if we hadn't won the conference tournament, it was hard to envision at that point uh, finding a road in because we really hit our stride at the best time. But our record through the season uh, wasn't necessarily reflective of how good a team we were, especially when March rolled around. All right. Yeah, I, I love your stories about uh, about playing in, at San Diego State and, and the tournament experience because, yeah, it, it is a, a very u- unique event where you got to win so many games to sometimes just to get in and then every yeah. game is sudden death once you get into the tournament. In terms of this year, um, there already was a big upset, a 15 over a 2. Oral Roberts beat mm-hmm. Ohio State in uh, – in over, and, and look, Steve, I – I, I am far from an expert on this. I fill out a bracket, and I, the beauty of filling out a bracket is the rankings tell you who should win, especially when sure. it's a two against a fifteen. <laughs> but not today, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, and I mean, every year it's the same thing. I mean, it's it's part of the excitement of it being back this year. Uh, one game, you can play great, you can play poorly, and also too. Uh, having learned this firsthand, I mean, everybody earns getting in there. I mean, if you're a smaller school, you probably have to play a really difficult schedule. If you're a school like Oral Roberts, um, you have to win your conference to get in, you know, because you're not going to be uh, an at-large bid, bid conference. So if you're getting in there, the odds are you're, you're able to play. Like, you, you have to beat out somebody good to get in there. And then you just get into, you know, hey, we got a favorable matchup. Um, maybe we're shooting it real well today. Our defensive game plan is giving them trouble. Um, you know, a, a team like Ohio State, I have no doubt that there's a ton of brackets that got busted just today with Ohio State losing and Tennessee losing to Oregon State. Um, but that's the magic of this time of year. I mean, it's just one game. And if they played a best of seven, it for sure would be different. But um, it's what makes it so hard to not just want to sit down and watch basketball all day because anything could happen at any given moment. Okay, so I want to ask you something else. Uh, Gonzaga, I mean, they've been mm-hmm. they've been contending for a long time now, but they're sure. not in, you know, the SEC or the Big Ten or the Big Twelve or I know all the numbers of the Pac twelve, I guess. Like the the the, the West Coast Conference, 
maybe I'm wrong. I don't consider that a power conference. So how have the Bulldogs risen to become a perennial contender over the last 15 to 20 years? Well, uh, you know, I remember being in 10th grade when Gonzaga made their very first run uh, to the Elite Eight and, right. and, and being, glued, being glued to the TV. Like when Dan Monson was the coach at that point who actually wound up going to the University of Minnesota and recruiting me when my family and I moved to Minnesota. And I, he came to me and was like, hey, do you have any questions about the Golden Gopher program? And I was like, yeah, what was it like coaching Gonzaga? Like that was my very first question to him. So, um, what, you know, what, what was what, what was Richie Fromm doing for workouts? He's huge. So like those those kind of things. Um, but I remember when that first started, they were a, a really strong, respected program. But all of a sudden, there was this infusion of magic, where they just hit this stride. Their players were tough. They were skilled. They were all seniors, and it was just this wonderful story. You, you, that's 20 years ago, and you fast forward now, I think really with, with Mark Few as the coach, they've recruited you know, so many great players over the years who are you know, NBA mainstays. They've had a strong Canadian, uh, Canadian population on their roster too uh, over the last 20 years of guys who have spent time in the league and also guys who have been great that went on to, to other things. I think a ton of it has to do with they identified something that was I- extremely sustainable for their level um you bring guys in that maybe have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder you bring some guys in that are a little bit under recruited can really play um but have something to prove and then you infuse that with the culture that they clearly have there where player development is like at the front and and foremost of what their focus is we want our guys to come in and we want them to get better and we have plans for them to get better they're going to get bigger they're going to get stronger they're going to get faster they're going to be part of a winning tradition because now the expectation at Gonzaga is you win. It's not just, you know, hey, let's hope we can have a Cinderella run. I mean, these guys are a one seed, and this isn't the first time this has happened. So I think it really speaks to the culture that they they have had there before and what they've continued to grow and build on, where their players year by year get better, and then they get they get tricky with it. They'll bring in a good transfer every now and then. You know, they'll add somebody who can really play that maybe left another school who fits what they do, and, you know, Gonzaga hasn't been perfect, but, man, they've, they've made a lot of moves as a program that it's only going to help them get better. You know, I'm sure there's been lots of good players over the years that have reached out to them that it didn't fit, and they probably passed. So, I mean, you're really talking about building a culture, maintaining a culture, and at the forefront of that is has been the development of the players and how that development of the individual adds and only boosts the development of, of the team. Yeah. I, I love, I love how you put that and, and you set the standards and you keep meeting them and, and that's how you build continued success. Steve, sir, joining us tonight on uh, inside sports, talking a little uh, NCAA basketball tournament, the Edmonton connection. Uh, I, I, I give, hope I'm getting the name right here. I hear a Is that pretty close? Uguak. Uguak. Sorry. I hear Uguak. Who plays for Loyola Chicago? Who uh, won? To, and what he went to Harry Ainley. What can you tell us about this young man? Well, one, um, he, he plays. He played for a great program here. I mean, uh, he played for George Hoyt, who's who's one of our best coaches. And so clearly, he was a guy that was heading to the college level, uh, knowing what it takes to be successful, uh, understanding that it's going to take work, it's going to take uh, putting in the time, and uh, he. He's a kid. I, I've known him since he was little. 
And even when he was young, you were like, this kid's got a chance to, to do something interesting. You didn't know, you know, where it was going to be. Uh, you kind of felt like the States was what he had, had in his mind and, and what could be his ceiling. Um, and he's at a program that's fantastic. I mean, you know, obviously uh, people who have been paying attention would know that Loyola had that really inspiring and magical run to the final four a couple of years ago. I think he was a registered at that time because he started his college career at the university of New Mexico. Um, and now he's a key player for them. I mean, he's, he's a senior, so he's providing leadership. He's versatile. He's a guy that, I mean, was, was an all uh, first team, all defense in the Missouri Valley conference. So he's one of the guys they lean on. Uh, if there's, you know, if there's someone making something happen on the wing, the odds are here is going to be the guy that's guarding him. Uh, he's had some big games. I know he had a really big game on national TV against Drake earlier this year, I think where he had, you know, 20 and some, um, so there's a lot of versatility there. And w- what I really enjoy about it here is one, he's a great kid. And I, I mean that genuinely, I know everybody says that of, Oh, he's a great player, even better person. But, um, here's a great kid, shakes your hand, looks you in the eye, says, thank you. And two, he works at his game. And I think that's on full display now because he's, you know, he was on the, uh, all conference team from the Missouri Valley. He was on the all uh, most improved team of the Missouri Valley this year as a senior, which speaks to him continuing to work and not just settling into something. And, um, he's on a top 25 team in the country. So, like this is a guy who's a key cog in a mid-major program being ranked in the top 25. And I think for everyone who watches college basketball, they can understand that's really tough to do. And for a kid from Edmonton to go down there and be one of those leaders and be one of those relied upon guys of a school that today upset an ACC school, a big time, you know, big time program, Georgia tech, it just speaks to, to what a you know fantastic person and player here is and how he just found that right fit with Loyola that's it's able to accentuate his, his talents as a player and as a person. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. And that's, I mean, that's truly inspiring. And there, there's so many great basketball stories coming out of Edmonton the last, the last few years, you're one of them. Mm-hmm. And I think the Edmonton stingers are one of them as well. They did win the, uh, the CBL last year, obviously a, a strange season because they had to play in, uh, in the bubble and, and, and win the tournament, but the win nonetheless, mm-hmm. what's uh, what's ahead this year for the, for the uh for the cebl is it all systems go with traveling or are we still uh waiting give us an update because i i've loved when i and i unfortunately don't get as many opportunities as i would like but i love what i've seen from that league up tempo mm-hmm. entertaining basketball with a lot of great canadian athletes what's the future hold here well the plan is this, that we're going to have a season um you know there's a lot of contingencies i think like everyone has to have right now of your best case your middle of the road and you know what we're going to do if we have to pull the emergency shoot um but you know the plan right now is to start the season in june uh we would play a shortened season so we can give this maybe a little bit of a chance uh, to get things you know completely rolling with uh, you know vaccinations and hopefully that stuff taking effect uh we're going to begin the season with no fans and uh, what we hope for is continued improvement uh, with, with the pandemic. And as we move through this, we would have a 14-game season, seven at home, seven on the road. And we're hoping, fingers crossed, toes crossed, whatever needs to happen here is that we can have fans in the stands um, maybe by August, hopefully by championship weekend, which we will be hosting here in Edmonton. So there's still lots to be excited about. Uh, we've been announcing player signings that uh, obviously are, are guys that we feel are going to 
bring a lot to the to the city and also maintain that spot that we want to be in of of winning the league and most of the guys that are back are the guys that we signed in our first year that we felt were the right pieces to build a program from scratch on and uh, for me, and I know uh, at the time it was uh, Coach Barnaby Craddock, uh, we, we put a lot of time and effort into thinking, what do we want this team to be and what, how do we want it to be identified? And two years later, uh, most of those guys are still here, which is, which is pretty cool, and they have a championship on their belt uh, from last year's summer series. So there's still a lot of excitement. I agree with you, Reed. I think the CBL is headed in a really exciting direction. Um, it's only going to gain more steam. The player, the players are only going to get better. The play is only going to continue to improve and it's already pretty good to start right now too. It's already quite high level. So hopefully we can get people back in the stands and, um, they can come and enjoy it because I think in order for the league to truly take that next step, uh, we got to have people in the stands. So hopefully it's safe to do that. And, um, we're going to have a great product and uh, hopefully be able to, uh, to win one more this year. That's the goal. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, Steve, it's always a blast. Thanks for coming on tonight. Enjoy uh, watching the uh, plethora of basketball games we're going to have in the NCAA tournament over the next couple of days. We'll keep in touch. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for having me, Reed. Make sure to check out San Diego State now. They're playing Syracuse tonight, and it, it's going to be a good one. So I, I think right. we have to I'm- say, you know, go Aztecs. There we go. He got it in. He got it in. His alma mater's play it tonight. I will check that one out. That's Steve Sir at Inside Sports. All right, two and a half minutes left in Toronto. Flames lead the Maple Leafs 4-3. So that uh, Edmontonian we were talking about here, Ainley grad, uh, here, Uguak, playing for Loyola Chicago in the NCAA tournament, uh, winning today 71-60 over Georgia Tech. And Uguak played 19 minutes at four points, five rebounds in uh, in the victory over Georgia Tech. So keep an eye on that name if uh, you're ever checking out the tournament. Uh, Edmontonian with a big future ahead of him, doing big things right now. Okay, good to have you tuning in tonight. Vic says, really enjoyed the basketball conversation. It showed me how much it has grown in Canada and some of the great chances for Canadian players. Absolutely. Canada is producing a wider variety of athletes than it did 20 or 30 years ago. And it is not uh, a knock against hockey because hockey is the number one. It should be the number one, and we should continue to be proud of the hockey players that Canada produces. But I do personally enjoy seeing Canada become a uh, a more diverse sports nation. I think that's that's pretty cool too. So hopefully we we keep going in that direction. NHL tonight, the Flames win it four three over Toronto. Leafs have not done well since they swept the Oilers. Flames take it 4-3. Canucks and the Canadians 2-2. They're going to overtime. Nick Suzuki tied it on the power play with 57 seconds left. The Capitals get two goals in the last 10 minutes of the third period, both by Ovechkin. He's up to 14 on the season to upend the Rangers 2-1. Blues and Sharks scoreless 15 minutes into the first. Golden Knights and Kings coming up later on. Late in the second period, downtown Edmonton, Oil Kings three, Rebels nothing. Oil Kings are trying to go 5-0. and They're three for six on the power play tonight. The Rebels are 0 for two. And Oilers, Jets tomorrow, right here on 6.30, Chad, 6.30 face-off show. And uh, the game will start at 8. 
So, well, that's interesting. The, that is interesting. The uh, Leafs lose. So they're, well, they haven't updated the points percentage yet. I guess I could do it on my own. I'd have to do some math here on the fly. I'm going to do it right now as we bring in Dave Campbell. Dave, I'm typing into my calculator. So the Leafs have 40 points out of a possible 62 now. So their their points percentage is 645. The Jets is 633. Edmonton's is 606. We'll see what happens with Montreal's if they get two or one tonight. So it's uh, it's tight. I mean, you still give the advantage to the Leafs because they have the uh, most games remaining or they have the best points percentage out of that. But they haven't done well. I mean, this uh, the, the three games they played against Edmonton might have been their best of the season, and now they're in a tough spell. It's really interesting, Reed, how the Leafs approached the three-game series compared to the Oilers and how they handled it so much better than the Oilers, how they raised their uh, level of, of compete and – what was that line from Dave Tippett? We uh, we didn't answer the the competitive level. We didn't reach the competitive level. And since that time, the Oilers have found a way. Now, yes, I know the opponent helps. I mean, Ottawa, it helps. But still, everyone's got to play Ottawa. There's teams that have struggled. The Leafs have struggled against Ottawa. The Flames have struggled against Ottawa. Uh, they caught the Canadians a couple times. But you look at how the Oilers have reacted since that series com- compared to the Leafs. And it's really staggering. And I don't know if the Leafs got fat and happy a little bit because they won the the all-hyped battle three-game series with the Edmonton Oilers in a 10-point cushion. Well, that cushion's gone now. And I, I do agree with you. I think points percentage right now uh, until we get to the end of the season is probably the most valuable stat. But, you know, this division is getting nuts. It's just getting crazy. There's only one one team that is out of it. That's the Senators. Um, so you have, and I hear you and Rob talk about it all the time. There's the top three, there's the, which is the Leafs, Jets, Oilers, and then you got the Flames, Canadians, and the uh, and the Canucks, and then you got the Senators. It's been so much fun this year, and it's just getting even better. All right, I'm going to ask you this, and I think I know who you're going to say, and I might even know some of what you're going to say, but I won't put words in your mouth, so I'll ask you a simple question. Which okay. new Oiler... <laughs> do you think has had the biggest impact on the team and is he appreciated enough there? Is that leading enough? <laughs> uh, yeah, pretty much. Uh, Tyson Berry, Tyson Berry, Tyson Berry. I've never heard a debate before about a player, about, about a second assist, the devaluing a player. What are we doing? Like it's, I don't want to say it's typical Oiler fan. Cause I think, you know, they're, they're fans are fans. But I think it's just we're, we're isolating one player, and he's the whipping boy now. I don't understand it. He leads the NHL in defenseman scoring. I know the deficiency is on the back end, and it's uh, it's frightening at times. You know, it's it's a little bit of an adventure out there. Okay, it's a lot of an adventure out there sometimes with Tyson Berry. But what he's able to do is get the puck up. And what I what I I want to ask people this: Why do you think Tyson Berry? Why why do you think the Oilers signed him? You know, is he? Uh, he's not as well rounded as Oscar Clefbaum, but he's way more offensively gifted than Oscar Clefbaum. I'm hearing things like, and the power play isn't as good as last year, but they're not far off. But I'm hearing, oh, Tyson Berry's the reason the power play isn't as good as last year. I, I don't, I don't see it. Um, he, it's another weapon that that they have. So Tyson Berry has given this team 
what they haven't had in so, so, so long. I can't compare him to Pronger because Pronger was, you know, he's just an all-world player. He was the best player in the world uh, when he was here. Um, but, you know, you go through the list of offensive defensemen, you know, Yanni Nienema and Roman Hammerlick and, and Boris Miranoff and, um, you know, uh, you know, Igor Kravchuk was a little bit of a puck mover. But you go back even further, I mean, you know, Paul Coffey probably was the best point producer before uh, what we what we're seeing out of Tyson Berry. So I think it was a very good signing. I think it was a low risk signing. It was, uh, you know, we hear the the phrase he's he bet on himself. Now, the tricky thing for me, Reed, is what kind of contract is signed with the Oilers? What is the term? Three years too much? I would say one year is not enough. Maybe maybe it is two to three years. Three years kind of makes me a bit nervous, but I mean he's been all he's been all the Oilers needed uh, this year, and uh, I think he's been the biggest impact. I don't think it's a slam dunk to me. It's Tyson Berry. Well, look, he's an offensive right shot defenseman that wanted to play in Edmonton. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> like there, there's and, and can there's I say something like else? Several, please? Yes. Okay, so uh, here's another one that drives me nuts. Oh, he's benefiting from playing with Connor McDavid and, and Leon Dreisaitl. Wouldn't anyone? So Victor Hedman, who's second, doesn't benefit from Steven Stamkos and Braden Point. Uh, John Carlson doesn't benefit from, from Alex Ovechkin and Evgeny Kuznetsov and Nick Backstrom and the players he plays with. Quinn Hughes doesn't benefit from Pedersen when he's healthy or Bull Horvath or Brock Best. Like, come, come on. Like, let, let's just call a spade a spade. Tyson Berry was brought in to, to move the puck up, to help distribute the puck, to help the offense, and he's doing that. Case closed. Uh, yeah. Yeah, he's, 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 he's fun to watch, and they're, and they're winning games a variety of ways. Um, you know, if, you, if you, the three and six start, okay, not good. Well, 17 and seven since then is pretty good. They're heading towards yeah. the playoff spot. I don't know where they're going to finish. They're going to have some rough nights between now and the second weekend in May when the regular season ends. But the ride's been pretty fun for my mind for the most part. Dave Campbell checking in tonight on Inside Sports. He's the producer of this show. He's our double E football analyst. As the, uh, the, the well, we, here's another thing we should remind people. The double E and the other eight teams remain in the CFL. The CFL does still exist despite all the worrying. <laughs> Thank you <laughs> hey, for confirming this. <laughs> now, what's, what's the reality here with, with all the worrying and all the, I think, in some cases, um, rumor mongering? Yeah, because uh, the latest a few days ago was like, oh, the CFL is going to like cancel the next two seasons and then come back with the XFL. Like, can you just narrow down or maybe expand on what we actually know and what's probably going to happen next? Yeah. So just quickly to just to uh, to put that story to bed, which was put to bed, uh, you know, at the beginning of the week, there's some players union out of the states and United football union i don't know what it's called no one cares uh they have no affiliation of, <laughs> with the cflpa they have no affiliation with the nflpa um i think there might be some players that belong to you know the xfl or did belong to the xfl because it doesn't exist right now um the cfl or maybe the nfl but they have like hardly any members so um that was put to bed really quickly that was just one of those one of those times where when you're in the media, it's called chasing ghosts. It's just, you have to chase the story, but there's nothing there. So, um, look, 
what is it, eight days ago, we had this announcement from Randy Ambrosi of, with, of the CFL, the commissioner, saying that we're talking about talking. Now, first of all, I think it's more than just talking about talking. I think they are talking very seriously. What I haven't liked, Reed, is the over-speculation. We, I mean, you and I are in the speculation business. We, we, we do it uh, very, very regularly, especially when we're getting close to, you know, things like trade deadline or free agency or just throughout the season. But this has just been way over the top, in my opinion. Um, are we going to see a partnership or a merger? You know, and and I, I don't know the logistics. I don't know how the logistics works of having an 18-team uh, league uh, with the CFL who would finish their season up in November and then all of a sudden turn around and play in March, for example, or April. Like, that, that turnaround time's awful. But I just don't get the logistics of how the two teams or two leagues could play each other. I just don't understand it yet. And maybe that's just the product of the timing. I don't know. But um, I haven't liked the speculation. I haven't liked the uh, the, the thought that the XFL is going to save the CFL. I mean, it's failed. Well, it didn't fail last year. It failed because of the pandemic. Although, you know, this is not good. Although I do think if there was... Uh, we didn't have a pandemic. I think we probably have an XFL season. I don't know if it would last. But, you know, we're in the exploratory stage here, Reed. That's what we're at. And I do believe, and I'll point to an article that was written this week in Post Media by Dan Barnes, who's our national CFL writer, who says he does believe that there is a lot of serious talks. Um, he mentioned, in fact, that the Board of Governors or the competition committee within the league, within the CFL, contemplated four downs with a yard off the ball and all the Canadian rules, which would be crazy. I mean, Simone Lawrence of the Hamilton Tiger Cats tweeted, like, scores would be insane if that happened. You know, four downs with the Canadian rules, that'd be crazy. So um, everything would be the same, they would just add a fourth down. That's right. For, yeah. for, for Canada, but, everything? Oh, interesting, okay. Yeah, so, and this is before... The hey, if they were going to change something, I could live with that. Like, I, I, seriously, Yeah, I Dave, think I could too. I, I'd live with that rather than shortening the field... Like, I would prefer that because I do feel sometimes the CFL gets in a rut of two plays, punt, two plays, punt, two plays, punt, sure. and you can't establish yep. a bit of a drive. Yeah, and, you know, it's 57 minutes of, of suffering through a, a low-event game, and then the final three minutes are crazy because that's just how the, the CFL is built, right? So I do believe that, yeah, like you're saying, the, the first 57 minutes should be a lot more exciting than it is sometimes. But I do think the CFL is going to explore – a partnership with the XFL, what that looks like, I don't know. I mean, marketing and and, and streaming rights and, uh, you know, uh, branding, things like that are easy. Maybe you share scouting, like Morley said last week uh, uh, with you. Um, but, you know, I don't think this has been helpful in a lot of ways, too, because what's the biggest issue right now? I think we all know. They need to play this year, and I think they are going to play. And a CFL executive that I was talking to this week said, we just need to get back on the field and talk about wins and losses again. And I think we're, yeah. we're, we've lost sight of that a bit. And I think we need to get back into that has to be in, in, in focus right now. So whatever happens, the XFL is not playing this year. Cause they would have already been playing. No. Are they playing in 2022? Well, that the station now is no. And in fact, we're going to try and get an individual on next week. Uh, his name is Mike Mitchell who writes for various XFL uh, websites. Uh, he's a feature on Beach, uh, Bleacher Report as well. 
Um, and, you know, he had a report this week saying he doesn't think that the XFL will play in 2022 because they just can't turn it around. And he says, you look at the CFL and they check so many boxes. They have nine teams. They have a TV contract. They have stadiums. They have infrastructure. They have a full, they have, it's not full anymore, but they have staffs among nine teams. They have staff within the office. Read the XFL beyond Dwayne DeRock Johnson and Danny Garcia and, and their president and CEO, that's all they have right now. And you can have a lot of money in your pocket, that's fine, but to start up a league, and let's face it, this is XFL3, okay? So we had one and two with Vince McMahon, the second one with Oliver Luck in there as well. Uh, mm -hmm. But, you know, it costs $250, $350 million to start up a league. And I know they have a lot of money, but that's a lot of money. And then there's the issue of a TV contract. Are American networks going to be interested in nine teams from the from the, from Canada and put them on the air in in U.S. markets? Are are any is anyone going to care when there hasn't been one spring league that has been successful in, right. in the U.S. because I don't think they care. I think they like the NFL, they like the NCAA, and they're okay with an off season because in the NFL, especially. Uh, like, look, it's free agency this week. Like, it never stops. Like, offseason never stops uh, for, in, in, or, you know, in the NFL. It just keeps going. So yeah. there, there's a lot about this merger talk. It doesn't pass the smell test for me. And I think the focus has to be we need to play in 2021 and get ready for a season. And I think we will have one, but there's, you know, now cases are going up here in Alberta and it's a mess in Ontario and you know we don't have enough vaccines yet so how quick can we get more vaccines uh to to vaccinate the population against the virus so now the good news is the states they're way ahead and a lot of the talent is American so they should be okay yeah. um but the focus should be we should not lose sight the CFL needs to get back on the field in 2021 all right, and before we go, Dave, and we're, we're short for time, but I do want to mention this, a, a gentleman and a player we uh, have both enjoyed dealing with. Uh, Mike Riley posted today on Twitter that his mother, Rhonda, has passed away. Yeah. You know, Mike uh, and, and, you know, his parents were, were often, if not always, at, at Commonwealth Stadium. You know, Pat was kind of more the, the spokesperson, I suppose. But uh, mm -hmm. feeling for Mike and his, uh, his family today, it, he was never shy about talking about the influence his parents had on him. No, there's no question about it. And, uh, you know, Pat and Rhonda were amazing. Rhonda was amazing. You know, and every time I had the chance to talk to her, um, you know, you just, you, you felt the warmth, you felt the love, you felt the, that, that they, you know, she wanted to talk to you and, you know, you know, Pat, like Pat is always that, that kind of personality. Right. And he's, I think more bombastic of the two, but you know, Rhonda was just such a sweet soul. So my heart breaks for, for Pat and for Mike and for the whole family. And, you know, I, I just think about, you know, the story uh, uh, when they would come up to, to uh, games uh, to watch Mike play here in Edmonton, they would always stop in Nathan, Alberta, where the where the probably the best candy store is you know you'd ever go to is in Nathan, and they always would pick up you know Mike's favorite candies and you know well stock up themselves. So um, yeah, it's tough today. It's uh, kind of hard to talk about because it, it really hits you hard. But uh, yeah, you know my best to uh, the Riley family.
Yeah, absolutely. That's Dave Campbell. This is Inside Sports on Chet. J.T. Miller scores a beauty in overtime to get the Canucks past the Canadians 3-2. The Canadians are 0-9 in games tied after 60 minutes this season. The Flames beat the Maple Leafs 4-3. Caps get by the Rangers 2-1. Two goals by Ovechkin in the third. Blues and Sharks no score after one. Golden Knights and Kings are coming up in about 10 minutes. Oil Kings are a period away from going 5-0. Third period has just started at the downtown community arena. They're up 3-0 on the Red Deer Rebels. Josh Williams, uh, two goals in that game uh, for the Oil Kings. Dylan Gunther has the other goal. Tomorrow night, I'll talk to you at 6.30. That's when the face-off show begins. The Edmonton Oilers going up against the Winnipeg Jets. The puck will drop at eight expecting another good one there thanks to dave campbell the producer of the show angie quinnell your studio producer this evening my name's reed have a great weekend Six thirty, chad inside sports with reed wilkins weekdays at six on Six Thirty, chad